Well, that video actually does have a lot to do with today's message. So you're going to love it. You're going to love today. This is going to be really, really good. I want to invite everyone who is a part of our first impression or host teams, whether it's cafe, safety team, parking lot team, uh, you know, ushers, greeters, and then anyone that, that is interested in being a part of one of those teams. Tomorrow night, we're going to have a party at seven o'clock in the family center. There's going to be food and child care, and it's just going to be a great night to get everyone together. A lot of people serve at different services, so they don't know people at other services, so it's a chance to get to know the other people on your team. And then for those of you that haven't found your place yet, you're still kind of trying to figure out where is my place First Impressions is a great place to join in. If you don't know where you're, where you're called to serve yet, come and meet them tomorrow night. And just, they'll welcome you. They'll let you know what they do and how they do it, whether you want to be in the parking lot or the safety team or the cafe or usher, greeter. They're just going to have a great party tomorrow night just to, to celebrate what God is doing through those teams. And those teams, honestly, I get more emails every single week from new visitors about those teams than anything else because they make such a big difference. The parking lot team, the cafe team, the, the ushers and the greeters, just the, the friendliness of our campus. I have people all the time, people who leave our church because of the Marine Corps and they get restationed in other parts of America. They email us and they say, you know, it's just, it's just not the same. There's just a friendliness about Coastline that we just love. And so we just want to honor you and celebrate tomorrow night. Have a good time. If you're interested in being a part of one of those teams, join us tomorrow night in the Family Center at 7 o'clock. One more quick announcement is at the end of our 21 days, this Friday night, is we're going to have a night of worship. You know, we're in this series right now on worship and praise. We're going to have a whole night just to kind of apply what we've been learning over the last couple weeks. And it's going to be really a powerful, powerful night. The team's been working on it. It's going to be 60 minutes of just worship. We're going to receive communion together as a family. It'll be at 7 p.m. Child care will be available And then this is our very last week of 21 days of prayer. It's been incredible. You know, prayer does three things. It protects, it connects, and enlightens. And we've seen all three of those things God do through this 21 days. And it's just really been amazing what what God is doing in the life of our church. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to join us yet, this week, Monday to Friday, 6.30 to 7.30, it's a powerful time in this room. And then our finale is this Saturday at 9 a.m. Child care is available every Saturday uh, and this Saturday. It's just going to be a great time of just celebrating this 21 days of prayer, kind of getting realigned spiritually and just moving where God wants us to go as a church family. I want to invite you to pull your message notes out. We're going to jump into the message today. Week number one of this series, Closer, we began with the thought, we all worship something. Every human being worships something because we were, as human beings, created to worship. In other words, there's something that you're expressing love to. And here's the definition we used week one. Worship is our response to what we value most. There's something in your life that is getting a response. Something that, that, that you just really, really, really like. It could be a boyfriend, a girlfriend. It could be a hobby, golf, surfing. It could be career. It could be money. Could, something in your life that's getting a response. Something that you worship. And if you want to know what you worship, just follow the trail. That's all you have to do. What trail? The trail of your time. The trail of your schedule. The trail of your money. The trail of your passion and your affections. If you follow the trail you'll discover what you worship. And let me just say, 
God doesn't mind you having things in your life that you love. God, God has no issue at all with you enjoying the ocean and surfing or enjoying golf, enjoying your family, working. God, God doesn't mind any of that at all. God just has issue when you allow something in your life to take the place of where he's supposed to be. He just doesn't want anything in your life to be above him, but he doesn't mind you having things that you love and that you enjoy. Uh, last week, we got into a, a kind of a deep theology message on Lucifer. Lucifer was one of the three archangels mentioned by name. Lucifer was the worship leader of heaven. He eventually uh, pried in his heart and wanted all the glory and worship for himself, got thrown out of heaven. He became Satan and the devil. We learned last week that the word Satan is, is just a Hebrew word. It's not even an English word. It's a Hebrew word for accuser. It was the, the, the kind of the, the nickname or the the term we, we gave Lucifer, he became Satan. The devil is just the Greek word for opposer, and it's a term that we put. So they're not even English words. They're just words that we've adopted into the English language that just mean accuser, opposer, but Lucifer was his name, and he lost his job. He got thrown out of heaven when he tried to take the place of God, and then God created us to replace Lucifer as the worship leaders, as the new word to bring worship to God. And so in other words, we were, as human beings, made to worship. We talked about how God even designed us with all the same musical instruments in our design that he gave Lucifer. And that was last week's message. And I encourage you, if you missed either one of those, go back and listen to it because there's a lot of meat, a lot of content there uh, to, to help you follow along with this message. Today is the entire goal of this series. Literally, we just did the last two weeks to get to today. That's, that's kind of the truth, is I wanted to bring you to this point where we can learn how to practically express praise, practically express worship to God. And I want to help you today understand that what many of us consider to be worship really isn't worship. Like what a lot of us think worship is, really isn't worship. And so I want to help you understand that there's a lot of kind of tradition that is clouded. And so what we want to talk about today is worship God's way. Like, like what is God's style? What is God's personal preference? What does God like? You know, again, we're here for him, right? It's, it's not about us. So the question is not what do we like? The question is what is God? What, what does God want to see out of our church family? What's the type of praise that makes him feel good? What's the type of worship that, that, that really makes him feel good? Because again, it's all about him. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 19, and it's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was the Sunday before Jesus was risen from the dead. So you've got, this is Sunday, and then you go the whole week, and then Friday, Jesus is crucified. The following Sunday, he's risen from the dead. We call it Palm Sunday because people would lay palm branches on the ground when they would celebrate kind of the triumphal entry of Jesus, and then just a few days later would completely turn on him. But it says, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, we had a team uh, that went to Israel last year, and this is a photo that I actually took in the Mount of Olives when we began to start down. So you can see this, this is the Muslim mosque. This is where the temple would have been in Jesus's day. So when you head down the Mount of Olives, you can actually see the temple up there. But it says, where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout 
and sing. I mean, this was a rowdy crowd. This wasn't no quiet, you know, like, thank you, Jesus. We're glad you're here. I mean, this, they're shouting, they're singing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. I mean, these are people that, you know, they, they had family members healed by Jesus, brothers, sisters, parents, children. They themselves had been healed of Jesus. He had done so many incredible miracles and benefited them and blessed them and served them in, in amazing ways. And they're just praising and they're shouting and they're singing and they're rowdy blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven but but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said now these are the traditionalists these are the ones that the Pharisees are like listen listen guys you don't worship that way that's not how you do it that's wrong that's 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 not you know that's not what's culturally acceptable that's that's not what we do we have our traditions this is how you worship you don't do it like that Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. They're not doing it right. They're not doing it the way you're supposed to do it. You need to put them in check, teacher. You need to, you need to get your followers in order because that's not the way you worship. But Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Or in other words, I like it. I like their shouting. I like their singing. I like that they're getting a little rowdy and crazy. I, I, I actually like that is what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't stop them because if you stop them from doing it, the rocks are going to start doing it. So let them go. See, here's the thing. We have an idea of what we think God likes and what we think worship is. But here's the truth. A lot of what we think worship is, is really just tradition. Like, and what happens is we begin to worship tradition in place of worshiping God himself or really figuring out, is this biblical at all or is this just kind of my tradition? Is it my personal preference? Great example is if you don't have a cross in your building, I'm going to get emails. It's like, you know, if we, if we don't put a cross in this room, I'm going to get emails because you can't worship without a cross. Like, you got to have a cross to worship. We need a cross to be able to worship. Can I say this building isn't holy? You're holy. You're the, you're the temple of God. We don't need a, bill, a cross in this building. We need, we need you to be holy because you're the temple of God. There's nothing holy about this building. Now, and let me say, I'm not against crosses. We have a cross over here to keep the emails from coming. We have a cross. But there's nothing in the Bible about us needing a cross. And here's the problem. Many people begin to worship an inanimate object in place of having a very real relationship with the God that lives inside of you. Like I hear people, I get comfort from the cross. Well, you need to be getting comfort from Jesus. He's inside of you. This is an inanimate object that can't do anything for you. You have God living inside of you. So I'm not against the cross. Let me just, you know, so, so don't send me an email. I'm not against the cross. I'm just saying we got to be very, very careful. We don't, you know, worship our traditions over worshiping him. We don't get caught up in traditions that really aren't even in the Bible in place of, of who he is and, and what he deserves. So the question today is, what does God really like? What is God's expression of worship? What, what makes God feel good? Because God has you know, preferences. God, there's certain things that God likes out of worship. There's certain things that God wants to see out of our church on Sunday morning. So the question is not, what are we comfortable with or what do we like? The question is, what is God like? What, what is 
traditional worship in the Bible. Not traditional worship in the terms of what we think traditional worship is, but what was traditionally in the Bible. Well, God wrote an entire book on worship called the book of Psalms, and it's actually the longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters this book is. And the entire book is filled with God's expression of worship, what God likes, God's personal style, God's personal preferences, what what God wants to see. And here's the problem with the book of Psalms. When you study the book of Psalms and you see what God likes, you see God's kind of heart for worship and what makes him feel good. We see that more in our NFL stadiums across America than we see in our churches. See, when you study the book of Psalms and you see what is God's preference, what does God like to see out of worship, that's what we do in stadiums for football teams, and it's the exact opposite of what we see happening in most churches today. Why is it when, you, when, when you're expressive like that in a stadium, you cheer and you get loud and you get crazy and you, and you kind of you, you resemble the book of Psalms in a stadium, people call you a fan. But if you do the same thing in a church, they call you a fanatic. What is, that, what is up with that? I mean, I, mean, I mean, where do we get so off base where we give the book of Psalms style worship to a football team, but then when we come to church, it's like, shh, you got to be reverent, you got to be quiet, and there's nothing in the Bible about that. So what I want to do today is I want to dig into the book of Psalms, and we're going we're gonna to go through this, and, and let, me, let me first help you understand how the Bible was put together. The Old Testament of the Bible was written in the Hebrew language. The New Testament of the Bible was written in the Greek language, and there's portions of Aramaic in there, but predominantly Hebrew, predominantly Greek. Here's the thing about Greek and Hebrew. They're very expressive languages. There, there are many, many more words in Greek and Hebrew than in the English language. English is actually a very limited vocabulary. Like We have a very small vocabulary. We say things like, I love my car, I love my wife. Hopefully not the same. I mean, but that, you know, we basically have one word to describe each. In Greek and Hebrew, there are many words, that, like they wouldn't use the same word love for their car that they would use for their wife. There were different words. Well, another word like that in the Hebrew is the word praise, praise, praise God. You know, like you read the book of Psalms, I will praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise him with this, praise him with that. I will praise him with my inmost being. Here's the thing about the English word praise. When you study the book of Psalms, there's actually seven Hebrew words that are used for this one English word that we read. And each of these Hebrew words have a different definition and describes the way God likes to be praised. It describes the way God likes to be treated. It describes God's love language. It describes God's personal preference for what he wants church to look like on Sunday. And so I want, I want to go through this with you today and help you understand these words and show you kind of where they're used in Psalms because you see a scatter, scattering of them throughout the book of Psalms. The first one and the most used one in the book of Psalms is Hallel. Hallel. We just, we just sang that song. We sing hallelujah. Well, hallelujah is Hallel, which is, is praise and Yah or Yahweh is God or the Lord. So when we sing, we sing hallelujah, it simply is praise the Lord or praise God. In this word, Hallel, the most used version of the word, English word praise means to rave, boast, celebrate. And I love this one to be clamorously foolish. That's what God's looking for on Sunday. God likes it when we get clamorously foolish for him. God likes it. We're like, yeah, Jesus, we love you. I'm going to clamor around foolishly for you, Jesus, because you are awesome. He likes that. That, that. That's his personal preference. It's his style. He likes it when you get crazy. 
Why is it that being clamorously foolish makes sense in a stadium, but it doesn't make sense for us in church today? You ever thought that? So I was thinking, how can I kind of illustrate or kind of show you what clamorously foolish looks like? So I got some great photos of people being clamorously foolish. There you go. I mean, clamor around foolishly, painting themselves up, cheering, screaming their head off, going wild. Here's another one. I mean, people just like going nuts. I mean, no shame at all. I mean, they're just like, they're not embarrassed. It's like, this is what God's saying church is supposed to look like. Here's some, you know, English guys for their soccer. I mean, they just go nuts and wild over there. I mean, they're just like going for it, clamoring foolishly foolishly, but I know, I know we're North County, right? You know, we don't, you know, we're not, that's different sports. You know, we're golfers and golfers don't go wild like that. So I got a photo of the masters for you, (laughs) for us North County folks who don't feel like golfers clam around foolishly. You know, this, this is what it means. I mean, it's to get excited. It's to celebrate who he is. Let me show you it in scripture. I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will clamor around foolishly before all the people. Look at that. I will hallel. I will clamor foolishly in front of all the people. I don't care what people around me think. I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for him. It's like, I'm going to clamor foolishly for Jesus, and I'm not going to do it privately. I'm going to do it in front of all the people. Listen, God wrote this. This is God's preference. This is God's style. Let me just say this low-key, conservative praise where we sit and worship like this, the whole, you know, the whole music, that does nothing but protect your ego. That is nothing to protect your pride. And again, if you're new, like, listen, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people that have been around for a while who consider themselves like spiritually advanced and spiritually mature. Uh, you know, if, if you've just started getting to know God, take your time. Like, like this, you know, like the video said, learn the different styles first, you know I mean? <laughs> I mean, relax a little bit. But for those of you that have been around a while, you need to learn how to serve God according to his love language. You need to learn to care about him according to what he likes and what he prefers and give him the type of praise that he deserves. Here's the next one. The next one is yada, yada, which is to acknowledge in public. To, and it literally means with lifted hands. It's like, you know, if the teacher says, does anyone know Jesus? Yes, I know Jesus. That's what yada is, like lifting your hands in acknowledgement, publicly saying, listen, I acknowledge Jesus. Like, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Let's listen, pick me. I know Jesus. Acknowledge me. Like, like I'm with him. I'm on his team. That's what this word literally means. And here's the deal. God likes it when you lift your hands in worship. He put it in his book. And, and can I just say, he can do that because he's God. Like, like, I don't know if you got that or not, but being God gives him the right to put whatever he wants in his book. Like, it is his book. I mean, the book is about him, and so he can write whatever he wants to write about what he wants to see from us. That's his right because he's God. So if he says, stand on one foot, stick out your tongue, and hop around and worship me, do it. We we have to be so careful in this progressive culture that we live in where we got to try to figure out why of everything. Like, I need to know why, and and i got to question everything before I do it. The reality is, if God says he likes it, do it, because it's about him and not about you. Not my will be done, but thy will be done, Lord. And God gets the right, because he's God, to say what he wants to say and to write what he wants to write. So let me show you this. I mean, and, and again, who doesn't like to be acknowledged in public? I mean, who, who wants a husband or wife that's embarrassed in public to be around you? Like, like do you want to be married to someone who's like, you know, sits at a different table in the restaurant because they don't want anyone to know they're married to you? I mean, think about that. 
You know, God likes to be acknowledged publicly. I will yada you, oh Lord, with all my heart. Like, I'm not, you know, I want everyone to know where my heart is. I acknowledge the Lord with all my heart. And let me just give you a couple other verses. In every place of worship, this is a place of worship. I want men, 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 real men, men here, to pray with holy hands lifted high. See, there's something about God liking us to lift our hands to him. Look at this. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Praise the Lord. He likes it. It's his book. He can put whatever he wants in there. Our job is to just learn how to care about him the way he wants to be cared about, to love him the way he wants to be loved. Here's the next one. The next one is Barak, and that's the name of our president, yes. And it literally means to bless by kneeling or bowing. That's what this word, you know, you'll see this often. It'll say praise, and it'll actually be the Hebrew word Barak. It means to bless by kneeling or bowing. Literally means surrender or submitting yourself to a king. Like, I submit before you, king. You are Lord. You are king. I am submitting my life to you. You are in charge, not me. I submit before you. I I barak. Isn't it so interesting that this one English word praise can mean to clamor around foolishly, or it can mean to submit yourself and surrender to somebody? Like, this one word praise can mean both. Let me show you this in scripture. Barak the Lord. Barak the Lord, submit yourself, surrender yourself to the Lord, O oh, my soul. And, and not just, you know, everything, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. I want everything to be submitted, everything to be surrendered to the Lord, all my will, all my desires, all my preferences, all surrendered before him. Here's the next one. It's the word zamar, zamar. Zamar is to make music to God with strings. And when you study the original Hebrew word, it means to play it hard, not soft. God doesn't like this acoustic spa music stuff. That's not God's preference. Zamar means you're playing it loud. You're playing it hard. You're getting a little wild. I mean, you're jamming on them strings is what this word really means in the Hebrew. I mean, study it out. Let me, let me show it to you. It is good to zamar, to pluck them strings, to hit them hard, the Lord, and make music to your name, O Most High. Let me, let me show you kind of zamar described, kind of combined with halal. Halal, again, is to clamor foolishly. I'm going to show you a whole passage where the word halal is used in conjunction with this zamar. And this one really summarizes the entire book of Psalms. It's the last chapter of Psalms. It's Psalm 150, and it really summarizes the entire book. Hallel, or clamor foolishly him with the sounding of the trumpet. I mean, play that trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Get them strings out. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. I know that just made some of you uncomfortable. God likes it when you dance for him. God likes it when you get a little rowdy, you get a little crazy. Like I grew up Baptist. That was like the no-no. Like we were not allowed to dance in the Baptist church. That was like the cardinal sin. They wouldn't even let us have premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. I mean, that's how bad it was. I mean, God forbid we dance. I mean, it was just like, I just, oh, there we go. <laughs> Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the, not just cymbals, but look at that clash of cymbals. I mean, hit them things hard and not just once, but let them resound. I mean, bang them over and over and over again. Let me just say, if you don't like loud music, you're going to hate heaven. I mean, it's just not going to be fun for you at all. One theologian said heaven is like the loudest waterfall on earth. I mean, when it's time to praise God, it's going to get so loud and so exciting and so energetic. It is just going to be intense. It's, it's awesome. And this is what God likes. 
I mean, can you just imagine what it would be like to go to an NFL game if 100,000 people were sitting in the stadium silently watching the game? Can you imagine how awkward and uncomfortable that would be? I mean, sitting with 100,000 people just, shh, shh. I mean, it would be terrible. It would be the most uncomfortable experience anybody could ever imagine to sit with that many people in silence watching a football game. God wants it loud. He wants a little Zamar. He wants a little Barak. He wants a little Yada. He wants a little Hallel. Let's move to the next one. This is Shabbat, Shabbat. And it's more that Jewish sound. So it's Shabbat. And it's to address in a loud tone or shout. God likes us to talk about him loudly. God likes us to shout to him and sing and to praise to him. I mean, again, how much shouting do we really do for God in church as opposed to how much shouting do we do at, at, at other events in our life? How much? Let's see, it's like so easy for us to shabak a sports team. But how many of us struggle to really shabak the God who created it all? To really shabak the one who deserves it the most. Let me show you this in scripture. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify and I will shabak. I will shout loudly. I will, I, I, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, and there's that lifting up the hands thing. You see that all over the Bible. Lift up my hands to you. Like I'm not embarrassed of you, Jesus. Like I'm with you. I don't care what anyone else around me thinks. I am lifting my hands to you. Shabbat unto the Lord. Here's the next one. It's the word tauda. Tauda. Tauda literally means to lift hands in adoration. To lift up your hands in adoration. Isn't it interesting that two out of the seven have to do with lifting your hands? I think God likes it. I don't know about you, but I think, I think God likes it when we lift our hands to him in worship. And this is different. The first lifting of hands was a lifting of hands in acknowledgement, like I'm with Jesus, I know Jesus. Um, this is more of a lifting of hands in adoration or surrender, like Jesus, I just give it all to you. Like you, you, you it's all for you, Jesus. I want you of all my life. I love you. I adore you, Jesus. It's just all for you, Jesus. It's like I let go of my pride. I let go of my ego. I let go of all, all my will, and I just give it to you. Look at this. He who offers to Tadao, Tadao glorifies me. Or, or let me read it like this. He who lifts their hands in adoration glorifies me. Do you want to glorify him? Like our life is about glorifying him. Give God glory. That's what we live for. Well, one of the ways you give God glory is you lift your hands in adoration to him because he likes it. It gives him glory. When you lift your hands and surrender and you lift your hands and you Tadao, you literally glorify him. It's powerful. And this last one is the funniest one of all because the way it kind of sounds, and it is tehila, tehila, not tequila, tehila, tehila, which is exuberant singing. I mean, it's just like getting loud and fun and wild. And, and what's really funny about this is the verse that it's used in. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times and his tehila will always be on my lips. I don't know, that's funny to me. I don't know about you, but his tehillah will always be on my lips. I'm always going to be giving him exuberant singing. I mean, what is exuberant singing? It's not just singing. He could have said singing, but it's not singing. It's exuberant singing, and that's what he likes. And I love the way the Bible's put together. You know, there's other chapters in Psalms where it actually uses multiples of these words at one time or in one verse. Let me show you one just place real quick. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give zamar even with my glory. I will yada thee, O Lord, among the people. And I will sing tehillah unto thee among the nations. I love the way it just, it breaks down. Like we just have one word, but, but, but the Hebrew language is so expressive. And you, you start learning what God likes. And so here, 
let, let, let me wrap all that up in this statement. Worship is love expressed. If you really want to worship God, worship is love expressed. It's not worship if it's not love. Like you can go through the motions, but if it's not love, it's not worship. And at the same time, it's not worship if it's not expressed. For it to be worship, it has to be. Well, I just love God in my heart. I don't need to lift my hands to him in church. I just love him in my heart. He, know, he knows my heart. No, you can't do that with your wife, can you? Well, honey, I love you. Just don't expect me to hug you or kiss you or, or ever acknowledge you. It's like you just know in my heart I love you. And that's it. Just, just know in my heart. No, you're not going to have a good marriage that way. And some of you aren't going to have a good relationship with God the way you're treating him. Because to have a good relationship with somebody, you have to learn to love them in their love language. You have to learn to care for them in their love language, to serve them in the way they receive it. That's what this whole series is about, is closer, closer. I want to get closer to God, closer to Jesus. Well, one of the ways we get closer to him is to serve him in his love. If you don't, if you don't take any type of effort of all to, to learn your wife or your husband's love language, and to serve, you're not going to have a very close, intimate relationship. And the same is true for God. You can't be close to him unless you learn to minister to him according to his love language, his preferences, what he likes. It'll actually bring you close to him when you serve him according to his love language. We're going to end with this passage of scripture, Mark 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Like, this guy, you know, he, he, he sees Jesus debating. He sees Jesus is like really smart. He's, he always has these good answers. And this guy, I think, sincerely comes to Jesus with, with really something very important. He noticed that Jesus had given them good answer. And so this guy asked Jesus, of all the commandments... I mean, help me out, Jesus. I mean, there's 613 commandments. There's 10 big commandments, and then there's 613 other commands, and then there's thousands of the traditions of the elders, and there's just all this stuff. And Jesus, I'm trying. Like, I, like I can see that you're connected to, to, to God, and, and I want to be connected to him like you. And so help me figure this out. What's the most important one? And so I want to end today with, 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 with this. Jesus says the most important one. And anytime you see Jesus saying the words most important, you need to pay attention. I mean, this is Jesus talking here. And Jesus says, listen, this, guys, listen, out of everything I've ever told you, here's the most important one. Stop. Pay attention. That's, he's not saying that accidentally. He's not flippant with his words. He, he, he meant every word he said. This is the important one, Jesus answered. Hear this, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what we're going to talk about is what's the most important commandment? And how do we actually live it out? Because what Jesus is about to share with you here is, listen, if you can do this one, everything else will fall into line. Like, like if you get this one down, if, if, if you learn this command, all of the other commands will flow naturally out of your life. And so he says in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, love, love, it all begins with love. It all begins with love. Jesus is saying, listen, if you just fall in love with me, if you have a love relationship with me, you'll do everything else. You know, we, we read that verse, if you love me, keep my commands. And, and we read that verse in fear, thinking, okay, I've got to obey Jesus. I've got to keep all the commands so that, so that I can prove to him how much I love him. Jesus wasn't saying that at all. Jesus was simply saying, listen, if you fall in love with me, you'll keep my commands. Like, if you love me, if you're in relation, if you let me love you and you love me back, you're going to naturally do everything else. You don't need to worry about all those commands. Just worry about loving me, because if you'll love me, everything else will flow out of your life easily and naturally. And so he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, with all your mind and all your strength. 
So what he's doing is he's, he's saying, listen, I'm not telling you that you need to love. I'm describing to you how to love. That's what he's doing with his verse. He's not just saying you need to love God. He's saying, let me show you how you love God. First, you love God with all your heart and all your soul. That's how you love my father. You, you got to do it with your heart and you got to do it with your soul. What does that practically mean to us today? It simply means expressing my affection to God. That's what that means. I need to express my affection to God. I can't keep it inside. If it's love, I can't just do it in my heart. I just can't sit there and, well, God knows I love. No, I've got to express to God how I feel about him. He needs to see time and energy and effort into my relationship with him. And this is not a legalistic thing. See, this is why John says we love him because he first loved us. If you want to love him, first receive his love and you'll have the power to love him back. But it's a love relationship. So here's kind of, I'm going to give us a worship checkup today. Just three simple questions to kind of check up how we're doing and where we're at. And these questions just reveal where you're at. They're not the answer because it's not about doing more to get in right relationship. It's about receiving more. So the answer to these questions is not, oh, now I need to go do more. For, I got to read more. I got to pray more. I gotta, no, 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 no. The answer to these questions just reveal where you're currently at. You don't need to do more to change where you're at. You need to receive more to change where you're at. You want to change where you're currently at. You receive God's love and, and your life will change. If you try to do more to earn like a different position with God, you're never going to get there. That's legalism. That's religion. It's about receiving more of his love to change. So use these questions to simply give you an indication of where you're currently at in your relationship with him. Here's the first one. What do I love most? What do I love most? Like, What's the thing that I just, what, what drives me? What do I love? What, what gets my affection? What gets my adoration? What's, what, what, what's, and, and not just what do I love, but what do I love most? What's first in my life? Because you can love a lot of things. And, and again, God, God doesn't mind you having things that you love. He just wants to know who's most. That's all he wants to know. He just wants to know who's most in your life. Then Jesus says, okay, you love him with your heart and soul. You also love him with your mind. You love him with your mind. What does this mean? It means focus my attention on God. Where are your thoughts going? That's why Paul says, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is good, think about such thoughts. Where is your attention going? Some of us, you know, just fill our mind with just mindless activities just to kind of, so we don't have to think about anything. And we end up thinking about mindless stuff more than we actually end up thinking about God and giving him our attention. What do I think about most? Again, these are revealing questions. This is not a legalistic like, oh, I need to go do more and then I'm lousy. No, this just simply reveals where you're at in your relationship with him. If you want to change your relationship, you need to receive more of his love. Receiving what has been done for you, understanding your identity in him changes where you're at. Here's the last one. Jesus says, you need to love him with all your strength. What does that mean? It means to use my abilities for God. You need to use your abilities for God. You have certain gifts. There's a certain design. There's a certain you know, way that God made you and you're only gonna be fulfilled when you take your design and you use it for him. It doesn't mean you're gonna be in full-time ministry. I mean, he, you have careers and God wires you for careers, but God also wants to use your gifts and talents in the kingdom because he knows that's where you're gonna be most fulfilled. When you are able to take your talents and your gifts and your passion, your strength, and use it to advance the mission of his kingdom, when you find your place on the dream team and you find your place in your church family, you're the one that's going to get more out of it than anyone. That's why as a church, we don't have volunteers. 
because we don't need you to do anything. We're actually creating dream team opportunities for you to use your gifts because you're the one that benefits most. When you use the way God wired you to advance his work and his mission on earth, you get more out of it than anyone. And Jesus says that's part of the way you love him. It's part of the way you worship him. You worship him with all your strength. So the question is, what do I do most? What do I do most? How do I schedule out my week? How do I plan my week? Like, like here's a question. When you begin to build your week, do you start with God? Is he first? You say, okay, let's start with God. Okay, here's my connect group. Here's Sunday. Here's, you know, the, the time that I serve and do this for God. Here's family devotions. And then do you build the rest of the week? Like, is God first in your schedule? Is is God the priority of your strength? Do you build your life around God or do you build your life around the kids or build your life around work or do you build your life around this or that? Like, Like, when you begin to plan out your weekly schedule, who comes first? Like, what do you pencil into your calendar first? What do you pencil into your diary first? That's a reflection of what's most important to you. Like, who's first in your week? Who's first in your schedule? Who's first in your time? We love the Lord your God with all of our heart and soul. That's our affection, our adoration. We love the Lord our God with all of our mind. We, we think about him. We love the Lord our God with all of our strength. We, we serve. We give to him. I'm going to close with this verse. It's a, it's a prophetic passage in the book of Jeremiah. This is God speaking to us through the prophet Jeremiah. God gave Jeremiah a personal message for you and me. And so Jeremiah wrote it down. That's what a prophet did or or what prophecy is, is God kind of speaking through someone to give us a message. And this is what God says to you and I. When you come looking for me, guess what? You'll find me. You'll find me. And then I love the last half of the verse. It says, yes, when you get serious. When you get serious, some of you aren't serious about this. And, and, and you can't figure out why it's not working. You can't figure out why it's like everyone else seemed to be excelling spiritually and I just feel stuck. When you get serious about finding me and you want it more than anything else, I love that. Like, like when, you, when, you, when you get serious about God and it's like, God, I want you. Like, I'm done with my pride. I'm done with my ego. I'm done with all this stuff. Like, I want you. I don't, I don't care what any, like, God, I'm serious, God. I want to find you because it's just not my, I need you, God. I'm serious about this. I love God's promise to you. He says, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. When you get serious and you want God more than anything else in life, I'll make sure, God says, you're not going to be disappointed. My pastor is 76 years old, the man that led me to Christ. I'm going to Spent a couple days with him this week. Amazing man of God. He, when he was in his 20s, he was an evangelist preaching around the world, around America. And he was preaching at this church in Nashville, Tennessee. And in the back of the room, in, in one of the pews in the back, was Elvis Presley sitting there. And Elvis had just, you know, began his career. He just signed a, a movie deal and a music deal in Hollywood. And he had five films and albums and everything else. And he sat there listening to the message and just kind of gripped the pew. And after the service, he went to the pastor's office and he asked to speak to my pastor. My pastor went in there and he said, I, I want to do this. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to just give him it all. But what if I do and it doesn't fulfill me? I just signed a deal. I've got all of this available to me. I've got this, what, what if I give that all of that up and I follow Jesus and it doesn't fulfill me? What if I end up disappointed? 
Here's the truth. When you get serious and you want Jesus more than anything else in your life, you will not be disappointed. You won't be. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? As we leave today, I want to challenge those of you who are been on this journey for a while. Like you're a committed follower of Jesus. You're, you know, you're, you, it's, you're not a new follower. You, you've been following for a while. I want to challenge you with, are you loving him according to his love language? Are you serving him according to his love language? Like when you look at the type of praise and worship God likes from us, are you giving God what God likes? Because that's how you get closer to him. Like when you begin to serve God according to his, his love language, it will draw you closer to him. And that's the goal of the series, closer and closer. We want to be close to Jesus. And part of being close to someone is learning their love languages and serving and ministering to them according to their love language. Like if I serve my wife according to my personal preferences, I'd have a terrible marriage. So I got to understand what she wants and what she likes to have a healthy, intimate marriage. And it's the same with God. So I want to challenge those of you who've been following for a while. Take this message to heart. We've got, we've got a chance next Friday night to actually put this message in practice and do all seven of those for him. Join us for night of worship. And then let me say to those of you that are here today, and if you are honest with yourself, Jesus isn't the top priority of your life. He, he wouldn't be at the top of your list. Now, he might be on your list. That's part of why you're here today. But the truth is, Jesus isn't the top priority of your list. He's not, like, number one right now. And then for some of you, he may not even be on your list. Well, here's my promise to you. If you'll get serious about finding him, and you'll take a step, and you'll want him more than anything else, I guarantee you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. And I want to give you a chance to take the first step today. And the first step is simply a commitment of your heart to pursue God. A commitment of your heart to, to have him be priority number one. And the way you take this step is you just say a simple prayer in your heart. You don't need to stand up or walk to the front. You don't even have to pray this out loud for step one. It's just a commitment you make in the heart. And I want to lead you in that prayer. So if you're here today and you'd say, you know what? God's on my list, but he's not at the top of the list. Or God's not even on my list. And I need him to be the priority of my list. And I'd like to invite him to take the top spot on my list. I'd like to pray with you with nobody looking around. This is just a a private moment between you and God. But so that I know who's joining him in prayer, would you just slip up your hand and say, I'm going to pray with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate all those hands. Here's the prayer. It's very simple. Just in your own words, or you can use my words, say, Jesus, today I invite you to take the top spot on my list. To be the priority of my life. Jesus, would you forgive me for every time you haven't been first in my life? And Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Amen. You can look up. I want to encourage you to take one more step. This is something you can do on your own, but on your connection card, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you prayed that prayer, if you lifted your hand and prayed with me, We'd like to know what decision you made so that we could pray for you. It's the greatest journey you'll ever take. And we just want to pray God's blessing over that journey and that God would just do something incredible in your life. We'll also send you an email. Our philosophy is once you make that decision, 
we put the ball in your court. We don't chase you. We don't, you know, we're not going to call you or show up at your house. What we will do is send you an email that gives you some next steps. But by doing that, we're basically putting the ball in your court. And if you made that commitment of your heart, we want you to take the next step. And we're not going to pursue you or chase you to do it. We're just going to give you what the next steps are and let you make that decision. So I encourage you to check the box that applies to you. We'll send you the email. We'll pray over you. And we'll ask God to bless your journey in living with him being first in your life. Would you stand with me as we close? Night of worship, Friday night, 7 p.m. You asked for it begins next week. I'm not going to tell you what week we're doing the end times message because everyone's asking, but it will be in the next three weeks. But the cards to invite people are here. Let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we will be a church that will learn to love you, to praise you, to serve you, to care about you according to your love language, your preference, and your desire. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.